I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would. Uh, otherwise, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen. Uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to read uh, verses 17 through 18 uh, to begin our message. Oh, um, the junior hires can go, but they already left. They sort of take liberties when I don't announce it. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 17, let's begin to read. It says, now this... The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, we thank you for your goodness toward us. God, we thank you for the praises of of your people, and that you are enthroned on those praises. God, we thank you that your spirit has already manifested in this house. We ask for the manifestation of your spirit as teacher, as counselor, as the one who guides us into all truth. We invite your presence, Lord, to open our ears, open our hearts that we would receive. God, I pray that you would anoint me to speak just that word, No more and no less that you have for this people at this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, From the time I started this series, uh, really a few months ago, this uh, passage has actually been heavy on my heart. uh, But I've uh, kind of been waiting on the Lord as to the right time. And I really feel like this is the, the moment to share uh, this, uh, this word, uh, as we come uh, really kind of, uh, we're in the tail end of the series, got a little bit more to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to transition in the fall into, into another series of messages. But um, this is, in my view, one of the most powerful passages about the Spirit of God, in particular that the Apostle Paul shares with us. And it's particularly fitting right now because of this time of of intense prayer and focus that we're going into. The first thing I want to observe, and this is, uh, if you will, you'll just bear up under this because you've been bearing up for a year on this. This is the professor part of me. Um, But this is one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible uh, about what we would call Trinitarian truth, right? There's no particular passage Uh, that uses the word trinity, that's a word that we use to describe the teaching that we get all throughout scriptures about what we call the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But collectively, the scriptures deeply and profoundly and thoroughly teach that truth. And this is one of the passages that points to it quite clearly, that it says that the Lord is the Spirit, right? And we say, well, I thought the Lord sent the Spirit. That's correct also. It's part of the mystery of faith and understanding the Godhead, right? So we serve one God in three persons. We don't serve three gods. We're monotheists, one God in three persons. But the Holy Spirit is the Lord. This, is, this goes with the book of John where Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he turns around and he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you, 
right? So he's referring, when he says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And then he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's, that's squaring with what Paul is saying here. The Lord is the Spirit. So when we say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He's saying wherever the Lord shows up and the Lord is recognized as Lord, there is freedom. There is liberty. I got a little bit of King James language in my mind, but I like that statement. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Now, um, let me make a couple of observations as we get into this. The first thing I want to observe is that Paul is very clearly talking about the manifest spirit of the Lord. The manifest spirit of the Lord. Now, we all know that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, right? That means, how is he everywhere? He's everywhere through his spirit. That means that God is every bit in the bars and the, uh, the, the dives where people get drunk and do godless things. God, by his spirit, is there, right? There's nobody who can go and say, when I go in this door, God's spirit... He's not going to be here like he was in church, so he's not going to see what I'm doing. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's there by his spirit. But there's a difference between the omnipresence of the Lord and the manifest presence of the Lord. The manifest presence of the Lord is God is there in his glory. And that's what this passage is the tail end of. Previously, Paul talks about Moses coming off the mountain, and the glory of God was on him. His face literally shone with the glory of God. That's the manifestation of God's presence. So when he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, he's not talking about places of wickedness where people are doing wicked things. People say, well, is there liberty there? Um, Well, by his spirit, he's making liberty available to them, but clearly there's bondage there. Why? Because the spirit of God is not in, in manifestation. He's not invited to manifest. Paul is talking here about his people. He's talking about his people seeking him, inviting him in full manifestation and power. And when the spirit of the Lord is manifest, freedom follows. This is not, this is not magic, and this is the point of the message today. We've gotten into, and this is kind of the history of the, to a point, the English-speaking church in in the last 400 years of of history, and it really applies to America, as um, immigrants came over, uh, founded America, now America is a lot more diverse, but the, the cultural foundation of our nation is clearly European, and a lot of those people were uh, were products of what we call the Enlightenment. There was a lot of inra- there's a lot of rational thought. There was a lot of breaking things down, a lot of scientific method, and so forth. And a lot of people uh, just just started to think that way and break everything down and, and process everything with their head and lose out on the intuition that is necessary for the power of the Spirit to flow with your gut. Amen. How many, how many have experienced that where you're dealing with something with the Lord and your head is telling you one thing, but your, your heart is going, no, go this way. Amen. That's the, that's the difference. Now, where, where you have as a whole culture where you've enthroned the, I'm not saying we should be irrational, but I am saying that our rational thought needs to be a handmaiden, the servant of our spiritual intuitions. That's the way it needs to be. And a lot of times, what's happened in the American church and in you know, other parts of the world too, is that has been reversed to where uh, people can't, 
They can't intuit the move of the Spirit of God. They can't understand uh, by, the, by the Spirit what, what God is up to and what God wants to do. And so we want to understand here um, the manifestation of the Spirit gives, uh, gives freedom. How does the manifestation of the Spirit bring freedom? The manifestation of the Spirit brings freedom through indwelling. It's the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking here. When the Spirit of God indwells us, that's when this, this power comes. We want to we do things um, sort of rationally, and, and, and there's... Uh, I was trained um, by, in a Baptist seminary. There's a lot of rational thought in that teaching. Everybody say, God bless the Baptists. Amen. God bless them. Good people, wonderful people. But in a lot of their training, there's a lot of this rational thought. So there's this thinking like, well, um, you say the sinner's prayer. Uh, now you're a Christian, right? By faith, you're a Christian. Uh, and the Spirit of God is on you, and bam, you're free. How many know that's not exactly how it works? Right? Our spirit, we're born again, but the habits of thinking and emotional patterns and all of these, all of these deep habits and the cravings of our flesh are still very much untamed. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there freedom, but it's not like flipping a switch. It's not like magic. It's not like, you know, it's not like uh, uh, Cinderella where the fairy godmother comes along and waves a wand and turns the pumpkin into a carriage and you're just done. It doesn't work that way. This, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, but it's a rolling, transforming freedom. And this is a very, very important thing to understand. We've gotten things wrapped up. I remember reading, uh, it was actually, it was actually, uh, 30 years ago right now, 30 years ago this month, I was at the General Council of the Assemblies of God. It was in Indianapolis, Indiana. And the main newspaper of Indianapolis, Indiana is called the Indianapolis Star. And their subtitle, made put a long time ago, I don't know if they st they're still doing it, but they were doing it then, is their theme slogan is this verse. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. That's, okay. remember that America, anybody? <laughs> you know, where, where newspapers would quote scripture to say this is our purpose. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And, and somehow it's got into our thinking as a nation like, well, you know, lady liberty and life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's a different kind of liberty. This type of liberty, this type of freedom has to do not with something that's external, but something that's internal. It's grounded in our personality. When Jesus talked to the Jews in John chapter 8, he said, he who the Son sets free is indeed free, is truly free. What does truly free mean? Truly free means interiorly free, free in your personality, Free at a level of your identity. Free in who you are. I want to tell you, they chained the Apostle Paul. But you know what he said while he was in chains? He said, the word of God is not chained. Right? In chains or not, he was a free man. The person that he stood before on trial, the Emperor Nero, was the most powerful man in the world at the time, and he was in utter and complete bondage. 
right? So we're talking, to, to, to talk about being indeed free or truly free is talking about being free on the inside, where the Spirit of the Lord is inside of us, where the temple of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord indwells, there is freedom. There's true freedom, powerful freedom, not just political freedom, not just financial freedom, not just freedom of speech. Look how, look, 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 look where that's gone without the Spirit of God. Right? It's not enough just to have freedom of the press, freedom of spree, even freedom of religion. My goodness, freedom of religion has been used where now Satanists are given prayers and opening uh, sessions of uh, state house congresses. That's not freedom. That's bondage. Right? This is something that is completely by the Spirit of God. Now, how does the Spirit of God bring freedom? How does he bring freedom when he indwells us? We pray, we seek God, the Spirit of God indwells us, lives within, and and works to make us spiritually free. How does he bring about that freedom? Again, it's not like flipping a switch. It's not like waving a wand. It's something that has to happen by his working. The Spirit, this is, it says it very clearly in verse 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The, the Greek, I like, I like uh, King James on this better too. The Greek says from glory to glory. We are being transformed. We go from one plateau of glory to another. God's design and plan for you. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're a baby Christian. I don't care if you've been in the faith 50 plus years or if you're somewhere in between. Wherever you are, God's got another level of glory for you. He wants you to go up. The, we just covered this in the, in the study in, in Philippians. The Apostle Paul, writing from prison about the year A.D. 60, writing to the Philippians, he'd already written Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Romans. How many think that's pretty good? I mean, you know. And he says at that point, I don't consider myself yet to have arrived. He's seeking yet another level of glory. What is glory? Reflection of the image of Christ within us. The personality of Jesus within us. That's his goal. The answer of how God sets us free is very simple. It can be summed up in one word. Change. Change is how he makes us free. Change is how he does it. He has to do it. Change is the name of the game in the new covenant. We are new covenant believers. We are new covenant people. Paul, look, this this passage right here, 2 Corinthians uh, 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 3, 17 through 18, among others, even in this book, Go skip ahead three chap, uh, two chapters to the end of chapter five, where Paul says, "If anyone's a new, in, in, if anybody is in in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away; all things are made new." That that is almost a perfect description of the dynamic of the new covenant. So is this. 
Now, let me ask you something. We, we sang about this. I, I didn't even confer with Joseph on this. And every song we sang was, was, was squaring with this message. Every song was about change in one form or another. How can you make things new if you don't change them? Amen? We want, the, we want things to be new and fresh, but we don't want anything to change. Well, riddle me that one. And as bewildered as any of us would be to that question, God's even more bewildered, and he's God. Change is the name of the game. Change is the very nature of the new covenant, and it will be until we stand before the Lord face to face and perfectly reflect his image. The word of God says, when we see him, we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. The goal of every Christian is to be like Christ. Hmm? Does anybody know where the word Christian comes from? It does occur in the Bible. It occurs three times in the Bible. It's never an adjective, by the way. It's never a descriptor. There's no such thing as a Christian business or a Christian TV station or even a Christian school, for that matter, in the biblical sense. It cannot be used as an adjective rightly. It is often, but it shouldn't be biblically. It's always a noun. It's always a description of a person. And every time, read it in the New Testament, every time it's a slur. Every single time it's referred to as an insult. It was invented in the city of Antioch, and that city was known for its political mockery. It was known, not just with Christians, but with, with leaders and rulers, even people we wouldn't respect. That population of that city was always coming up with cute little names to make fun of people. And the word they came up for these Christ followers were Christians. They're little Christians. They're little goody-two-shoe Christ followers. And the early Christians were like, we'll take it. Thanks. So if people today are making, oh, you're a Christian, <laughs> you got it, man. I'm, a, I'm, I'm seeking to be a little Jesus. If the apostle Paul wasn't there at the end of his life, none of us are either. Which means, if we're going to call ourselves by that name and recognize that truth, we're signing up for change. We're signing up to be changed. And not just changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to take a poll on how many people were going to wear one thing today and then changed their mind on what they were going to wear, sometimes after they put it on. Anybody? All right? That's change. We're not talking about just change. We're talking about change, capital C. We're talking about transformation. This is true for individuals. It's true for families. It's true for the church. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and resist change. You just, you just can't. Not the kind of change that he wants to bring about, Right? This is an irony because there is no breeding ground for nostalgia like religion. 
Nostalgia is always idolizing the past. It's looking back through rose-colored glasses. It's stripping away from the past all the negative things that, that were there. And it's turning it into a god. It's saying, boy, that was so good back then. And we forget. I have, I, I have to remember this because I, I am a sucker for sentiment and nostalgia. Right? I think back about... I think back about Christmases when I was a child. Anybody else do that? I, I think back about those Christmases. I think, oh. And then now, as, as, as an adult, as a father, as a grandfather, as somebody who's, you know, got to be a breadwinner and raise my family and reads the news and recognizes all this stuff, hey, you know, those, those Christmases that were so ideal for me, the Vietnam War was going on. The sexual revolution in the United States was going on. Abortion was being uh, legalized. Great wickedness. Was, my family was undergoing terrible upheavals. I was completely oblivious to it. All I could think about was what was in my stocking. Right? But nostalgia, what it does, is it looks in the past and it strips away all the negative in an unrealistic and distorting fashion and says, oh, that was so good. And then it compares that ideal to this today. You know what, you know what nostalgia is? It's not unlike what, what, uh, what social media analysts call the compare and despair dynamic. Compare and dis- despair. Oh, I'm looking on Facebook, and oh, look at them. They're, 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 they're on vacation, and oh, their pictures, they're so good, and they're, they got it so together, and look, I mean, they get to travel wherever they want, and they look so happy together and everything else. And, you know, they're not telling you that they've been put on probation at work. They just got a DUI, and all those pictures are Photoshopped. They're not telling you that stuff. So it leads you into a disp- but, but that's what we do with ourselves. We Photoshop our past. And we compare it to the present, and it's a losing game. And who gets lost in the process? The Spirit of God, who wants to transform us. We entrench ourselves in a past that never existed. And we resist the future and the now that God has for us. I'll I'll compare this, make an analogy with the church. How many know what the church is? Is this building the church? Never. Who's the church? We're the church. We're the church. But let's compare it. Let's use, use as an illustration the building. We're quibbling about colors on the wall and the carpet, and Jesus is off stage left, sitting on a bulldozer, wearing a hard hat, with new blueprints under his arm. Right? We're... Can I get an amen? God bless both of you. (laughs) Jesus is about drastic change. Jesus is about significant change. Take a look over at Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 2, 
verses 44 through 45. To me, this is one of the most powerful, iconic passages about the coming of the Messiah in the entire Old Testament. It says, and in the days of those kings, this is Daniel interpreting to Nebuchadnezzar this vision that he had. He says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to the end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made is known to the king, and what shall be after this? So it says earlier where it says the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. But previously, it says, together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. That's what Jesus is into. That's what Jesus is about. Jesus, our Jesus, we could call him Wrecking ball Jesus. You're like, Pastor, that's a grim vision of Jesus. Wrecking ball Jesus. Yep. And you know what he's come to wreck? He's come to wreck our wreckage. That's what he's come to wreck. He's come to destroy our destruction. He's come to visit chaos upon our chaos. He's come to redeem. Hey, 1 Peter says that this, is, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the, this whole idea like, oh, just say this sinner's prayer and you're a Christian and bam, it's done. Yes and no. The apostle Peter in 1 Peter, he says, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what of the unbelievers? Did, did anybody catch that? If it's hard for the righteous to be saved. You say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean salvation by works? No. That's the least of what it means. Matter of fact, salvation by works would be easier. Salvation by works is always a formula. Dot these I's, cross these T's, and you're done. Salvation by grace is a pilgrimage journey of discipleship and obedience. And it's about transformation. It's about God changing us into the image of Jesus. And just when we get a victory, and just when we think we can rest on our laurels, God's like, hmm, glad you like that level of glory. Time for a new level of glory. Well, when is this going to end? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. When you're like him. Not kind of like him. Just like him. Precisely like him. When's it going to be, when's the change going to done, be done with the church? That's easy. When he holds us in his arms as his beloved bride and we stand there shining like the sun without spot or wrinkle or any single blemish at the wedding supper of the lamb. That's when it's going to be done with the church. But not one moment before. And I want to tell you everything's on the block. Until that day. Every last thing. This is something that I've had to learn. And it's been very costly. 
But God is not sentimental. He doesn't have an ounce of sentiment in him. He's got love. Oh, he's got love. He's got a fountain of love that never, ever runs dry. He's got a river of it. But that river rolls. And it, it flows. And it's a flash flood of blessing. But without any ounce of sentiment, it sweeps away everything before it. God is not sentimental. And the move of his spirit is not nostalgic. It's dynamic, it's rolling, and it's upsetting. There's a very simple truth. God cannot change our lives without changing us. And we want precisely that. We say, God, change our situation. Please change, change my situation. My situation is so difficult. This person in my life is so difficult. Could be the person you're married to. <laughs> Those things God uses, God even uses difficult people, unredeemed people. He, he works difficult situations to form us and change us. Has anybody here, really, when everything's going your way, everything's going your way? I mean, you are just fat and sassy. I mean, you are just feeling just good. Man, you got the balance in the checkbook. Your health is right. You can take your pick of vacation destinations. Everything is going your way. Is that the morning that you get up early before, before the light and get on your face before God and weep and beg for transformation and beg that God do what he needs to do, whatever the cost? Very few people, very few people are like, oh, you know, this is just too much of a good thing. <laughs> i got to shuck this situation, man. Woo! You know, I tell you. This whole, it's wearing me down whether I go to the Bahamas or Tahiti. I mean, I just, I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to have to fast and pray. No. God puts us in pinches. He puts us in situations. And everybody in here can testify that when his faithfulness comes through, his deliverance comes through, you're testifying later to people in need about how God saved you from the grip of Pharaoh. You're not talking about how great it was, how good is the goodness of God, sipping a lemonade on the beach. You're talking about those things. Why? It's the nature of our faith. It's the nature of our God. Now let me talk to you about the human response. This is God declaring himself. This is who he says he is, how he says he works, and what he says he will do. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. This is a famous passage. I've preached it before. I've preached the source passage before. But this, Luke chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 18. This is Jesus preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry. And he's taking the scroll of the book of Isaiah and he's reading from what we would call Isaiah 61. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty 
to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does anybody see a pattern here? This is Jesus proclaiming at the beginning of his ministry exactly what the Apostle Paul is proclaiming some 25 years after Jesus' ministry is complete. He's saying the exact same thing. He's talking about the relationship between the Lord and the Spirit. He's saying the nature of the Spirit of God, the nature of the ministry of the Spirit of God is about liberty. It's about setting people free. This is, this is Jesus' version preached from the Old Testament of exactly what Paul is telling the Corinthians those years later. Now, what is their reaction to this? Verses 28 29, it says, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Hmm. Anybody think Jesus preached poorly that day? How many think he preached pretty well? Maybe a little bit too well. I've stood on that cliff. I've actually stood. Patty and I stood on that cliff nine years ago. It's called Mount Precipice. If Jesus would have gone over the edge of that cliff, it would have killed him. It's not just a little steep incline. It's a cliff. You stand on that cliff and you're looking, you could practically see to Jerusalem on a clear day. You're looking down in the valley of Jezreel. Well, that's just the Naz, that this is the people of Nazareth, and it's because they got riled at what he said afterwards. That's, that's not really what that's about, Pastor. That, that's a unique circumstance. Is it right? Let's go back to John 8 that I mentioned earlier. That's where Jesus was in a discussion with Jews there in the temple, and there was an argument actually between the Jews about Jesus. Some said, oh, This guy's nuts. And others said, no, he's got it together. There's, he's doing miracles or something. So the crowd divided itself. And part of the crowd sort of self-eliminated. They said, no, he's crazy. And they walked away. And then it says, and Jesus spoke to those who had believed in him. Everybody say believed. believed. He spoke to those who had believed in him and said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That famous passage that I quoted earlier. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they immediately responded in the negative. They immediately went into denial. We don't need transformation. We don't need any of that. We've never been slaved, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus gets into the, and they start to argue with him. And you know how that whole discussion ends at the end of chapter 8? They pick up stones to stone him. They want to stone him. Because they couldn't swallow the full message of transformation. Huh. Eerily like what happened in Nazareth. Strange. And then Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He goes and he says, time for some change. And he goes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers. He sends their gold and their silver scattering across the floor 
upsets the whole merchandise. Hey, I want to tell you, that's how that temple operated, pure and simple. And Jesus came and said, time for some change. Zeal for God's house has consumed me. Time for some change. How do you think they responded to that? We don't need to guess. It's very simple. They crucified him. That's how, that's how they responded. Now they played into God's hands. Jesus rose from the dead and accomplished the greatest power of transformation available to anyone, right? But God is about transformation and people of ourselves left to ourselves resist it. Why? Because we're fallen. It's not natural. It's not natural. It's not natural for us to say, oh, yeah, come in, transform me. It's just not natural to do that. This is one of the reasons why I've emphasized, hey, we need to get into prayer and we need to do, do it day after day after day. Why? Because anybody can ride a high for a couple days. But in 30 days, I guarantee you, you're going to have highs and lows. You're going to have days where you feel like it and you don't feel like it. You're going to have days where, where physically you, you, you feel good and other days where physically you don't. A powerful, consistent, mature Christian prays when they don't feel like praying. Seeks God when they don't feel like seeking God. Reads their Bible when they'd rather watch TV. And when you do those things, it brings about transformation. Now I just want to ask, who are we? Are we Nazarenes? Are we among the, that group of Jews who believed in him but ended up picking up stones to stone him? Who, who, who are we? Because that stuff, those testimonies are left to us as deliberate warnings. It's a mistake. It's a mishandling of the Holy Scriptures for us to look at that and go, oh boy, look at those terrible people who didn't know Jesus. Huh, so glad I'm not like them. That's a mistake. There, it's a warning. It's a warning because every single one of us have resisted the transforming power of God and, and what God has brought about to bring about transformation. God wants to transform us. He wants us to be more like Jesus individually and as a body. He wants to transform. He, he wants to bring about this change in us. And we need to embrace it. I want to invite Pastor Joseph to come. I want, us to, I want us to draw close to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Spirit of God. Where you flow, there is liberty. There is freedom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. You know, we want to covenant together with the Lord. We want to commit together to the Lord. We want to walk in the Spirit 
and stay in step with the Spirit. We want to invite change. We want to be proactive. Not just deal with it. Inevitable change that comes. Change is here to stay, folks. But we want to roll with it. We want to stay in step with it. We want to ask and invite God to do his work. I want to come down here and I want to invite you that if you would make a commitment to the Lord, it's not an oath, it's not signing in blood, but you're making a commitment to the Lord. We did this last year, this very weekend. You're making a commitment to the Lord, God. I will seek to spend significant time with you every day. I will sanctify a time that cannot be encroached upon, cannot be robbed. I will spend a time with you every single day for 30 days. September 1st through September 30th. I will hit the reset button and I will aggressively ask for change and for you to do what you need to do no matter what it costs. If you are willing to make that commitment, I want to ask you to stand and come forward and we're going to pray together. We're going to pray together. Hallelujah. We're going to pray together. Amen. 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 If you can't stand, I invite you to come. You can sit on the, one of the front pews. We're going to commit to the Lord. We're going to commit to the Lord. I'm not going to say, everything inside of me wants to say, spend an hour a day. But I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, you sanctify a time before the Lord. That you sanctify a time before God. You commit yourself to Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, you see this. You see the heart of your people. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. I see, I see people coming who are even struggling to come, but you can stay still, saints of God. God sees your heart. Begin to pray. If you can pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit right now. Just begin to pray in the Spirit. Just begin to pray in the Spirit. If you can pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. So open your mouth and begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Let the Spirit of God flow. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you. Lord, your word says where you are, there is liberty, there is freedom. Father, we have chains that eyes cannot see. But you can see. You can see. God, you want to move by your presence. You are merciful and kind and patient and long-suffering. And you indwell us even with our sins and even with our flaws and our imperfections. God, you make us your home. Father, we invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit right now. We covenant together with you this day, this 1st of September of 2019. God, that you are going to strengthen us and you are going to give us grace and you're going to help us. God, we can't do it on our own. But we ask for a tremendous grace. 
to be poured out upon us individually and as a body that we would be a people of prayer. God, that you would sweep through and you would do your work. God, that your grace would come, that your power would come, that your blessing would come, that your transformation would come. God, transform this church. God, transform this body. Transform us as people. God, bring profound freedom. God, that the enemy can never touch, can never take away. God, we ask for your grace and your anointing. God, we ask for the gifts of your Holy Spirit to flow. God, we ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come. Speak to us, God. Speak to us. We might have our laundry list, but Jesus, you have the true seeing that's necessary. God, to look into our hearts and to know what needs to change. We might think that number one on the list is this thing, but you know fully that there's other things that have to be taken care of first. God, be patient with us, Father. Be patient with us. God, we can be so insensitive to the move of your Holy Spirit. We can be so resistant, God. We don't mean to be, but God, we ask you to help us. We ask you to listen to this prayer and in your mercy, overwhelm our resistance and help us, God, to go to the next level of glory that you have for us. God, we pray it, Lord. We seek you for it. In Jesus' name.